0: Church, how are we? All good. Awesome. Um, just touching on grace, uh, which is something I, I'm not sure any of us truly understand. But I love how uh, how Lindsay's um, version of grace—God's riches or God's reward at Christ's expense—I think that's beautiful. Anyway, today we're going to head into Matthew 24, which is. Uh, pretty much the last um, chapter we need to delve into before you guys, in your own time, can go and study Revelation, which I'm sure you will, just as you studied Matthew 24 when we asked you to a month ago. But before we start, let's start in prayer before we open the Word of God, eh? Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. I thank you for this church, but I thank you for your Word, Lord. And Father, thank you for this Word, and I pray, Lord, that it'll touch the hearts of those you wish it to. Pray for revelation for everyone here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So yes, we're starting Matthew 24. We're going to go through the whole thing, so buckle in. If you've got some sugar, take it now. Cause it... You ready, Zoe? So today we're going to look in some detail at Matthew 24 or what uh, the theologians call the Olivet Discourse. Before we delve into this amazing prophetic word, I just want us to take a couple of minutes and gain, um, gain some context around the timings of the events that we're going to talk about, and what is happening to Jesus mentally and spiritually through these times, yeah? A couple of weeks ago, we talked on Daniel 9, and we spoke briefly on the uh, triumphant entry. Hopefully, you guys are... Uh, on the same page with me now. Well, that's where we're going to start. We're going to call that day one. So, day one, triumphal entry, we have Jesus hailed as king and messiah by his followers, but largely rejected by Israel and the establishment. We go to day two, the day after the triumphant entry. Jesus curses a fig tree. Then he overturns the tables of the money changers and cleanses the temple. Then we get to day three. Jesus and his disciples, they pass the withered fig tree and Jesus uh, teaches on faith. Jesus' authority is challenged. He then rebukes the Pharisees in the temple, calls them snakes and vipers. Then later in that afternoon on the third day, uh, they're heading out from the temple to the Mount of Olives. Once at the Mount of Olives, Jesus gives his private teaching on the Olivet Discourse. Day four, the chief priests and Pharisees conspire to kill Jesus, and the plot of Judas is sealed. Day five, Jesus and his disciples prepare the Passover lamb, and they had their cedar meal together. Jesus then ushers in the First Communion and teaches on that. Jesus predicts his own death and suffering and betrayal. Jesus washes the disciples' feet and teaches on that. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to spiritually prepare for the great spiritual battle in front of him. Jesus is uh, betrayed by a kiss by Judas. Jesus, Jesus is arrested. And during a scuffle with the temple soldiers, Peter chops off a soldier's ear. Jesus heals the ear. Jesus then faces multiple unlawful trials. And then we go to day six. Jesus stands before Pilate for his final trial. Jesus is tormented, mocked, and flogged. And then our king is crucified. 3 p.m. day six. So that's the time frame. And we're about to talk on being in the middle of this so why am i talking about the time frame i want to look quickly at jesus's state of mind through this whole week he knew exactly what awaited him he knew that this was physically the last week he was going to be on earth as a man jesus knew that halfway through this oh sorry Uh, He is trying to prepare his disciples to live without him. At the same time, he's trying to prepare himself physically, mentally, and spiritually for the battle that is to come. Preparation that will culminate in his monumentous victory at the cross. Jesus was walking in authority this week. He's rebuking with righteous anger. He's telling it the way he is. He's preparing the way for man's salvation And time is running out. So that's the scene. So we'll start chapter 1, Matthew 24. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out at the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. So you have to understand that the temple was everything to the Jews. The disciples were boasting to Jesus about the magnificent of the temple buildings and Jerusalem. So when he answered to them, not one stone will be left upon another, this would have alarmed them. This would have alarmed them greatly and they would have dwelt on this the whole way back to the Mount of Olives as they walked away. They all assumed that this event would be the end of the world. So after some time thinking and talking amongst themselves, they then approached Jesus. So we go to chapter 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when all these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. So they asked Jesus three questions. When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So for the temple to be destroyed, all the Jews are thinking this is the end of the world and they know that Jesus is coming back. The disciples have assumed that all these three scenarios asked about will happen at the same time and are somehow intertwined. Um, We'll soon discover that they are not. So we go to chapter 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and mislead many. So Jesus is warning us here of false Christs in the end times. He's also alluding us to false teachings done in his name. Chapter 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those... Those things must take place, but, but that it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. So Jesus is now warning us of wars, rumors of war, wars, global distress, but this is not the end, just the beginning. I love the analogy of birth pains. Birth pains increase in pain level, intensity, and speed. And once they have begun, there is no stopping until the birth is completed. And this is what Jesus is showing us is going to happen in end times. Chapter 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name this is strong rhetoric christians have been persecuted throughout history and sadly it will happen again towards the end of the second coming of jesus jesus says this in matthew i'm uh, sorry in john 15:18. if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love its own but because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world because of this world hates you anybody who hates you for your faith hates Jesus does that make sense? they hated him first up to chapter 10 at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another many false prophets will arise and mislead many Jesus is referring here to the people professing to be Christians, they'll fall away from the truth as they had no relationship with the truth. Hating one another shows us that they did not know him. 2 Timothy 3, 1 says this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. Revellers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving. Was that one? There you go. Thanks, Simon. Ma- <laughs> Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, <coughs> haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of gold- godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. And Acts twenty, twenty nine to thirty says this know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among you your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Jesus goes to lengths to warn us of false prophets, false teachings, and deception all will be rampant and riddled throughout mainstream churches toward the end. Chapter 12. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures at the end, he will be saved. So I'm not sure if many or any of us here can truly comprehend lawlessness, can truly understand or have witnessed what lawlessness means imagine a society not controlled by law police and authorities have no controls of the streets you having to defend yourself and your family from the masses lawlessness is on the rise riots are weekly now around the globe chapter 14 and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the, woor- in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So this is Jesus' answer to the third question from the disciples. What will be the sign of the end of the age? Most scholars believe this is the end of man's rule on planet earth when this is achieved. Chapter 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Does anybody Has anybody heard the abomination of desolation before? Four, five, cool, okay. Jesus is now teaching us on a future event that is shocking in the eyes of God. But the exact same act has happened once before. The word abomination in the Bible is something that God himself detests. So what is it that God detests? Idol worship. Worshipping anything but the true living God is detestable to God. So the abomination of desolation spoken of here is the ultimate and most insulting form of idol worship in the eyes of God. Picture this, the Antichrist standing in the holiest of holies in the Jewish third temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Also erecting a statue or some kind of figure of himself and having everybody worship it. This in the eyes of God is an outrage, but it's coming. This has happened before. And Jesus gives reference to that. Antiochus Epiphanes, who ruled from 175 to 64 BC, did the exact same thing. Antiochus treated Israel with such violence and such contempt that they finally rebelled against him. When he came to suppress the Israeli rebellion, his forces (coughs) entered the temple you've got to remember that the temple to these guys is so sacred, it's their everything. He stopped the regular sacrifices. He wouldn't let them, uh, the grain offerings or the blood offerings, he stopped. Then he set up an idol of Zeus in the holiest of holies and offered a swine as a sacrifice, killed a pig and put it on the burnt offering table. This was an abomination because it's a... It is idolatry and brings desolation because it defiles the holy place at the heart of israel so jesus isn't just giving us a history lesson here he's giving us insight as to what the antichrist will do in the middle of the seven-year tribulation chapter 16 verse 16 then those who are in judea must flee to the mountains Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. So this is pretty specific. Let those in Judea flee to the mountains. Drop everything and run. Pray this will not happen in the winter or on the Sabbath is testimony to the speed of which this event will occur. Something is going to be so catastrophic. Can you imagine something so catastrophic that you just need to go? So that's what's coming to the to the Jews in Judea. Verse twenty one. For then there will be a great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And this is getting heavy, isn't it? This is perhaps the most disturbing prophetic scripture in the Bible for me personally. Tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning, nor ever will be. We need to understand that there will be man-made tribulation and there will be tribulation from God's wrath through this time period. Both will be endured during the Great Tribulation by those who are here. I want to give a couple of examples of man-made tribulations that have been endured in the last century alone. And remember, Jesus says, such as never been. So it's going to be worse than this. So here's just a couple. we start with the Rwandan Genocide. The Rwandan genocide, known officially uh, in Rwanda as the genocide against the Tutsi, was a genocidal mass slaughter of Tutsi in Rwanda by members of the Hutu-majority government. An estimated half a million to a million Rwandans were killed during the 100-day period from April 7 to mid-July 1994. Cambodian genocide. Between 1975 and 79, at least 2 million, but up to 3 million people were killed by the Khmer Rouge government. Bangladesh atrocities. Beginning in March 1971, the War of Independence against Pakistan, the Pakistani military, at least 3 million Bangladesh were killed and 30 million become internally displaced. The Holocaust. Hitler's Nazi regime killed at least 6 million Jews and 3 million Russians. The USSR genocide. Joseph Stalin's cruel actions and policies created at least 10 million but up to 60 million deaths of Ukrainians, Russians, Kazakhs and others in the USSR from 1922 to 52. Most historians will settle at 20 million deaths. And then we have the Chinese genocide. The Communist Party of China left by Mao Zedong bringing in communism killed with systematic violence of at least 40 million but up to 75 million people between 1949 until his death in 76. They say 25 million of them were Christians. These statistics do not include any of the world wars. All of these tribulations of man-made genocide from governments bringing in their new regimes and killing anyone who does not conform or fit with the new dynamics. I believe that Jesus is showing us how traumatic and dramatic the incoming of the one world government of the Antichrist is going to be. Verse 22. Unless those days be cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So there's a couple of theories on this. Some theologians believe that the actual time of day will be cut short because it's just horrific times, so there won't be 24 hours in a day anymore. be less than that. Uh, others believe that the number of days of the turmoil itself will be shortened rather than continue indefinitely. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance, so that if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go. Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpses, the vultures will gather." So this passage is pretty straightforward, warning again of false Christ, more deception. However, if you know God's word, this particular deception is pretty easy to dismiss. We know that when we see Jesus, we'll either be at his feet in heaven three because we've died, or we'll be meeting him in the air during the rapture. That's the next time we're going to see him. He's not going to mysteriously appear in Wellington doing a gig in the middle of town, invite only. So I find, I find that pretty easy to dismiss. Verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So this phenomenon is explained in greater detail in Revelation 6:12, the opening of the sixth seal, and again in Revelation 8:12, the fourth trumpet. Jesus is showing us two things here. Firstly, that his return comes after the Great tribulation. That's not a mute point. So many people get the rapture and his second coming all confused. Jesus is telling us here that he's not coming back until after. The tribulation right and secondly the condition of the moon and stars are a di- direct result of those two scriptures mentioned being fully fulfilled throughout the tribulation period so when jesus comes back the earth's going to look and feel be very different than what it is right now verse 30 and then the son of the the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see that the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Jesus' second coming will be one of the greatest and most spectacular events of all time. Father God is ushering in his Son as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It'll be witnessed by every single person and it will be like nothing ever witnessed before. Revelation 19, 11 says this, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe, dripped in blood, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in the heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule than with an iron rod. He treads on the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Just spectacular. And no matter where you are on the globe, you're going to see this, if you're here. I hope you're not here. Verse 32. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branches when its branches already become tender and puts forth its leaves you know that summer is near so you too when you see all these things recognize that he is near right at the door truly i say to you this generation will not pass until all these things take place heaven and earth will pass away but my word will my words will not pass away jesus is telling us here to understand the seasons that we are in He's reiterating everything he's taught so far that we must recognize what season we are in and not to be deceived. Verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left, two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Jesus is showing us here that most of the earth will be non-believers. Post-rapture, most of this earth will be non-believers. As it was in Noah's time, sin will prevail and increase right up until when Jesus returns. The non-believing world will be concentrating on their own self-interest and will not understand the times they are in or recognize any of the signs of the times. The two in the field and one taken... Um, some theologians say that's a rapture scripture others don't so I'll leave it up to you but I'm going to give you two viewpoints Uh, firstly I'm not sure half of mankind will be raptured one in the field one goes, I'm I'm, I'm not sure about that Um, and secondly the timing, if you do a time study on this I'm not sure the timing lines up but that's Eric's opinion that's not fact but there is another theory that I kind of like because it's got mathematics in it and Ryan loves math, so we're here to please. Um, Jesus' second coming, when he comes back, all the tribulation events have happened. Everything has happened. And there's two scriptures I want to look at. Revelation 6-7 and it talks about the fourth seal being opened, the pale horse, having authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with sword, famine and pestilence. So just a quarter put in the back of your mind one fourth 0.25. got it second is Revelation 9.13 the sixth trumpet sounds or the second way the Euphrates are dried up um, a demonic army of 200 million and out of their mouths a plague that kills a third of mankind so first we've got an event that affects a quarter and then we've got an event that affects a third are we all there? So let's do some math. Take any number, and you can do this later. Any number, choose a number. I'm going to use 16 just because. But in your own time, try it with any number. Take a, a quarter of 16 is 4. You've got you to tell me I'm right, Ryan. You're the mathematician, mate. Take 4 from 16, we get 12. We're there? That's the quarter. A third of 12 is four. We're still good? 12 minus four is eight. Eight is exactly half of 16. So that's one theory. When Jesus gets back, exactly half the earth will be gone. Anyway, moving on. Verse 42. Therefore, be on alert... For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at the time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert. He would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So Jesus is talking about readiness. Faith in what has happened to date and what is soon to come. The rapture has been, the tribulation is coming to an end, and the tribulation saints will be ready for his return, but the rest and the vast majority of the world will not be ready. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave Whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, Jesus is urging tribulation saints, you've got to understand time frame now. He's talking to all those left on the earth who believe. He's asking them to hang in there, help us on its way. The end is near and the prize is close. And the only alternative to hanging in there, believing in him is clearly described here as eternal hell and bitter remorse and pain. So we're going to do a quick recap. There's a lot to take in. I hope we've taken some of it in. Jesus gives us 12 signs for the season and the second coming. He said for a start, there'll be false Christs. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines. There'll be pestilences and widespread diseases there'll be earthquakes in different locations there'll be persecutions and killing of the jews there'll be many people who'll be easily offended gee i wonder if that's real now there'll be widespread betrayal of one another there'll be widespread hatred of people against each other there'll be many false prophets that will deceive the masses there'll be widespread injustice immoral behavior crime and ungodliness and there'll be a coldness or indifference to others instead of love it's interesting as well if you study this in depth and study the order of this it's exactly the same order as uh, the book of revelation Ever, the, the events are in the same order it's kind of interesting jesus told us the six events that will also occur the gospel of the kingdom of god will be preached to all of the world the abomination of desolation spoken of by daniel will happen when he stands in the holy place in Jerusalem. The Jewish people will flee from Judea. A time of great tribulation like never before seen in human history will take place. After the tribulation, Jesus will return to earth as described in Daniel 7 and Revelation 19. And the remnant of Jews and tribulation saints are waiting for the Messiah will be rescued and the rest will be carried away like those who perished in the flood. So my final point... It's interesting that Jesus begins and ends his answer to his disciples with, do not be deceived. Jesus warns of deception four times within this one chapter. Whenever the Lord reiterates anything, we are to take heed. But if he mentions it four times, I think we should really, really take heed. Deception means to make a person believe what is not true delude, or mislead. How can you believe what is not true by not knowing the truth to begin with? Mm -hmm. Simon, I loved your analogy of the bankers in England and the countermeasures taken for counterfeit money. The bank workers did not study the counterfeit money. They studied in detail the real thing. When you know the real thing, the counterfeit will stand out like the proverbial. Also, people only counterfeit the genuine article. You don't see people counterfeiting $60 notes. They only copy the real thing, and in doing so, the counterfeit validates and authenticates the real thing. That's why in end times there won't be an anti-Buddha or an anti-Hindi Will only be antichrist. So, how do we avoid the deception? Jesus goes to lengths to warn us against. Grow your understanding of the truth. Jesus, our King. The original article, the real thing. Increase your knowledge of His Word. Increase your relationship with Him, and you will never be deceived by any counterfeit. Amen. Right, that's us. Let's finish a prayer. The worship team can come up and do us a finish on a song. It would be awesome. You choose, Nika. It's all on you. No pressure. Father God, we just thank you for your word today, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I pray, Father God, that this has been revelation for some here today, Lord. And we just ask for more, more of you, more understanding of who you are. And we look forward to the day your son comes to get us. In Jesus' name.